Hello, everyone. This is Richard Robertson from the Dean's Office. With me today is Ed Kahn. Uh, Ed teaches in the theater and dance department and has been at Messiah since 2001. 2001. Yeah. yeah. So what is that? This is your 19th, 19th year? 19th year. Am yep. I doing that right? All right. And so he's been here a while now, uh, has been working as a director, teaches acting courses, and in recent years has been teaching theater for social change mm -hmm. and creative dramatics. Mm -hmm. But directs, I almost said conducts, sorry, I'm a musician, <laughs> uh, directs uh, one or two productions a year and is about to open Anne Green Gables next week. Um, but I just wondered, Ed, uh, uh, over the time that you've been here, um, what are some of the productions that you've directed that stand out for you uh, in your time at Messiah? Um, well, most recently, Wit and Infidel yeah. uh, most recently stand out. Uh, most of the shows that I've done here have been musicals. And so I don't get that many opportunities to do straight plays until recently, until Dan Inouye mm -hmm. uh, joined the faculty. So he directs some of the musicals, and I direct some of the mu musicals. Before that, though, I was directing all of the musicals. Right. So certainly the straight plays that I've done, Wit and Infidel and Oxygen, which was quite some time ago now, they all stand out to me because they were unique for me right. in terms of my right. experiences here. Uh, among the musicals that I've done, I think Godspell was one of the most fun to put together because we used so much improvisation mm -hmm. in with the company in developing that one. Mm -hmm. We when we did Godspell, I really didn't want to do Godspell the way it was done right in '71. Yeah, uh, we wanted to do a Godspell. We asked ourselves if they were if Stephen Schwartz were writing it today. In it was probably around 2009. Uh, how would he have written it that at that time? and we wanted to create something that reflected more of a contemporary version of it, and right. that stood out. Certainly, Town was great fun. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We had a fantastic cast. Whenever we're choosing plays, we have to think of who's the current talent pool, right. and do we have the right mix of people to be able to cast a show like this? And certainly for that one, we had a, a great cast uh, that was just from both the music and, at the time, Department of Theater. Um, so that was a lot of fun as well. Those were back-to-back, -back, if I remember right, weren't they? The Godspell and You're in Town, they're very close close to each other in time. They are, because some of the, some of the cast members were in right. both. You're in Town was first. There might have been the Spitfire Grill in between them. Right, I remember Spitfire Grill very and then, well. As, yeah. And then Godspell. So Spitfire Grill, the thing that I always remember about Spitfire Grill, right, was that your lead was not a theater major and in fact she had never been in a play before am i saying saying that right she she at the time she was not a theater major right. she became a theater major exactly after but that. she had never even auditioned or she had never been in a play right she she had taken my, uh, my acting class yeah oh, okay and my intro to theater okay and then she auditioned and she had a very strong music background right right and also very good instincts musically as well so what she didn't have in training she had naturally right right I just remember that because, uh, and I tell that story sometimes, so I was hoping I was telling it correctly. Yeah, yeah that's pretty accurate. <laughs> um, just as an example of, of what can happen, because uh, she got drawn into the theater world through that play. Mm -hmm. 
Well, anyway, Spitfire Grill was uh, was just a tremendous show, and uh, and uh, but very different. And, it, and in fact, it wasn't a J term musical, if I remember correctly. It was not. It was a spring term show. Mm-hmm. I think it was the first musical we did in the spring term. Mm-hmm. Before that, we had done one fall term musical. You did Civil War. Civil right? War, the musical. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I did not direct that. Right. I was in it. Yes, I remember. <laughs> uh, but Spitfire. In yellow. Yes, that's right. Yeah, it looked like a bumblebee <laughs> with black pants and a yellow jacket. Dancing. Yeah. <laughs> um, Spitfire Grill, it was really interesting to me because I had seen the movie. It, it, mm-hmm. Its original manifestation was a movie which had a very different tone to it and a very different ending. And in turning it to the musical, it became something just much more uh, uplifting and edifying. Right. And it was also unique as a musical because it was very heavily uh, influenced by bluegrass in the music. Uh, okay. And uh, so we had never done anything of that style before. Right, right, right. But it lent itself really well to the story and the characters. And it was a very small musical, too. Only, I think, six characters in it. That was, uh, it was, it was yes, I remember that part of it. It was, it was, it was just a wonderful performance. Um, Godspell, say a little bit. Of, you, you, you said you reimagined it, but uh, well, say, say what you actually did, because okay. I remember it, but I'd like to hear you say it again. You One know? of the fortunate things about the script for Godspell uh-huh. is it says all over the script, well, in the original production, this was so-and-so, Ira, uh-huh. but you can, whoever you want to do this part can do it. And so we really ran with that, and there's 18 songs in Godspell, and I broke it up into 26 episodes, and we recast the show 26 times. So um, there were 13 characters in it, and each character was identified to be carrying some sort of baggage with them as they entered the space, which turned out to be a- an elevated subway station. Right. And depending on how the episodes were broken up, certain songs would um, lend themselves better to certain characters that are carrying their baggage. Right, right. Uh, so they really, it was much more of an ensemble piece. <clears throat> Normally it focuses on uh, Jesus and John the Baptist characters, but at any given point, anybody could be playing Jesus or John and, the and Baptist. And I do remember that. I mean, I think that was part of the strength. Of the, it was it was a really wonderful production, and I think part of the strength of it was that flexibility that um, you never had. You never felt like you were seeing a caricature of the of the story, or a, or even a reacting of the story, but rather people were reading about the story or, mm-hmm. or reliving that story, and then they would fall into these characters. But it was a different person each time falling into those characters, if I can put it that way. Does yeah. that, is that an accurate way of yes. saying it? Um, it began with... It, it was just one made it a stronger show, I thought. You know, I, I yeah. thought, too, because yeah. one of our focuses was it's not, it's not as much about the story, it's about who's telling the story and who's hearing the story, because mm-hmm. we already know the story. Right, right. It's about giving it and receiving it mm-hmm. with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, it opened with a homeless character who's re- who just reads a verse from the Bible, which is a verse that opens right. the show, and throws the Bible um, into the space right mm-hmm. next to a man who has just been laid off. He's wearing these workman's clothes and his lunchbox, and he's carrying a pink slip. Mm-hmm. And he picks it up and goes over to the homeless man and, and says he wants to know more. And eventually, as the play grew, more characters would get in and in. It's almost like a... Uh, a, a, a Bible study breaks out at a, yeah. <laughs> at a subway station. <laughs> subway station yes. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and people, like you say, it's just finding, uh, reading the gospel. I mean, it was literally the, the, the story of one of the gospels, and uh, yeah. which was it, Mark? It was based. It on says Mark, but it really is Mark and it Matthew. Encompasses, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, you know, it's, it's it's almost as if uh, these these people were 
actually finding how it related to what had happened to them at that time and, mm. what, and what they were carrying, as you say, carrying with them. Yes. And so that, that, was, that was a wonderful show. Um, I remember those three, but I, I, you, you mentioned Oxygen before. Mm. And uh, just to say, of course, Oxygen, Infidel, and Wit were all black box productions. That's and right. the others were all main stage. The others when we've, other ones we've talked about, including Spitfire Girl, were, were main stage. Um, and, of course, in those days, when you did Oxygen, we didn't have a black box theater. Now, right. We have a wonderful black box theater now. <laughs> but uh, in those days, we just turned the stage of our main stage into a black box. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, what was wonderful about, part of what was wonderful was that we had the authors of the play here. Right. And, of course, they were themselves Nobel Prize winners, if I remember correctly, or one uh, of one them One of them, was? yeah, Rolf okay. Hoffman and Carl Jurassi. I think Carl Jurassi was the Nobel laureate. Okay, uh-huh. And, of course, Oxygen is a, imagines, reimagines the as scientists um, figuring out what oxygen is. Right. And uh, imagines it as a race to win the Nobel Prize back in the, I guess it was, it was in the 1700s, the 18th century. Is that when that took place? Yes, uh, 18th century. Yeah. Uh, the play was written in 2001, right. or it takes place in 2001. Which yes, it goes been, back and forth, doesn't it? Right, yeah. and uh-huh. um, because 2001 would have been the 100-year anniversary of the Nobel. Ah, and what okay. they've decided to do is put a committee together to award a Nobel for something that was done before the Nobel existed. existed. And so they go, in uh, Nobel in chemistry, that is, so they go back to the discovery of oxygen. And the characters who are on the Nobel committee are each, they're carrying torches for certain figures in yes. the 1800s yeah. because they can't agree on what actually constitutes discovery. Right. Well, one character discovered oxygen but he didn't know what he had discovered. Right. <laughs> Another character discovered oxygen and understood it, but a third character discovered it, understood it, and got published. Right. There you go. <laughs> he was the academic. Yeah. No. <laughs> right. So the characters from the Nobel Committee take on the characters that they're, yes. they're carrying yes. a torch for in the, yeah. in the past. Yeah. Well, I mean, no one discovers oxygen. It's around us every day. I mean, it's not like right. we found something <laughs> hiding somewhere. It's just understanding what it was. Right. Yeah, right. understanding yeah. what it was. But that was a great play. You know what was really hard and, about that play? Uh-huh. Um, we had to learn how to do scientific experiments from the 1800s <laughs> about what one of the, what one of the characters yes. discovered, uh, and he called it phlogiston, yes. which is oxygen. And, of course, for the writers, for the authors, well, they knew exactly what the experiments looked like, and we had no idea sure. what they should look like. So we had sure. a, a dramaturg, actually, from the chemistry department work with interesting. us. Interesting, interesting. Uh, and, and show us how to how to do the experiments, and uh-huh. I just had to say, okay, if, if that's what it's supposed to look like, I'm not sure I really understand it anyway, but if that's what it's supposed to look like, that'll do. As long as it looks right, it's okay, right? Yeah. We don't have to actually Fortunately, we're yet. not playing to any 18th century chemists. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, were you having to use uh, antiquated equipment in some way? Or we, had to, we had to get, if we couldn't find things that would yeah. suit it, we, yeah. had to, uh, we had to make them. Yeah. So like glass, like putting... Uh, putting a, a burning element inside a glass and covering it, um, we, that's something you can build. Mm-hmm. You, know, you can right. something like a terrarium or something like that. Right. There are other things that are a little bit harder to build, but we could find things that lent themselves well. Right. Pro- certainly not entirely accurate, but that's not necessary either. Uh, close enough. Yeah. Close enough to give the, give the idea of, of it and to and to be somewhat true to mm-hmm. what they were doing at the time. And and probably uh, I mean, knowing knowing how things are in in 
in, in my area at least, you know, we, we know it's a harpsichord perhaps from that era, but, <laughs> but every harpsichord is different. <laughs> <laughs> so who knows what that particular harpsichord sounded like if you were trying for a certain, certain event. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that was, that was a wonderful play. And I, I had uh, to some extent forgotten the back and forth between the contemporary era and the 18th century, how it went back and forth. And, I do remember that you had um, you had your your actors changing costumes there on stage, and the uh, remember the the authors commented that they had never seen it done that way before. Yeah, in a talkback. Yeah, they would be, they would change mostly accessories, obviously uh, not full costumes. Yeah, right. But 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 it, when they made the transition from old to new or back and forth, right. I, that was when they would. Yeah. change an outer cloak or something like yeah. that. Yeah, and they would also have to change their acting style to a period style yes, as well. Yes, of course. Yeah. And it was just enough for the audiences to then understand mm-hmm. where we are in time. Right, oh yeah. No, it was, it was all very clear. Well, that was, that, was, that was one of my favorite plays that you've directed here, I have to say. Um, but um, Infidel, which was just a year ago, was um, maybe the most powerful play that I've seen seen you do here. Mm. And um, <clears throat> I remember that I, I felt bad because I didn't applaud at the end. But it's not, <laughs> <laughs> it's not something you ac- ac- actually applaud, you know. It's, in, in, yeah, it's, it's because you're profoundly moved by it. And uh, it certainly was, um, you know, there, there, there are the times you perform, you, you don't applaud because you didn't like it or you, you thought it was bad. But then there are times where you just say, <laughs> this is so, this is so deep and profound what I've just seen, what I've just witnessed that I, um, I just need to reflect mm-hmm. right now. And uh, that's how I felt at, at the, at the end of that play. And, and, uh, t- uh talk a little bit of, about, about that one and, and the background of that story. I know you, you had proposed it before you actually had did it yeah. for a year or two um, ahead of time, yeah. Well, actually, I had proposed it, um, I think this was the third time I proposed okay. it. Okay, okay. Uh, I proposed it when it was um, back in 2005 or so. Mm-hmm. I wasn't here that long. And um, I don't remember what we did instead, yeah. <laughs> that time, to be honest with you. Um, right. And so this time I proposed it. Uh, so it was another time, and it just wasn't the right time. Because it's for men, for mm-hmm. one thing, right, right, and that's going to make that's going to be a challenge whenever you do it. Uh, this time it worked out because uh, the other play that was going on that semester could easily be very female heavy. Right, so it was right. it was the right time to do it. Uh, the play focuses on um, a young knight, uh, Sir Hugh, and his brother Philip, and uh, in the 1500s, and. Uh, Sir Hugh, far more gentler than Sir Philip, mm-hmm. uh, getting caught up in the Crusades, but questioning. He eventually he is um, he is caught by the, what they would call the infidels, the Muslim Crusaders. He's caught by them, and because he's educated, uh, a sultan has him educate his son to, to speak his language because he thinks it's beneficial to learn the language of your enemies. Mm-hmm. And uh, he and the sultan's son develop a relationship. And along the way, he also uh, is influenced by St. Francis. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. And he wants to turn his back on the hypocrisy of the Crusades, right. uh, unlike his brother, who uh, is in full force right. in the Crusades. Right. So I don't, want, I don't think I should give away any more than that in case the show <laughs> comes around. But it was an interesting play because Sir Hugh is played... One actor plays Sir Hugh throughout the entire show, and the other three actors play multiple roles. Right, right. And like Oxygen, actually, they would 
they would make accessory changes yes, in the space. They never left, none of them ever left the space. In fact, they're all in the space when the house opens and they were frozen for 30 minutes while the house entered and then the show starts and they never left the space until the, after the curtain closed. Right, right. Um, I had first run into the show in 1992, I want to say. Mm -hmm. I had actually worked on its New York premiere. It, it, it originally uh, ran at the Graffiti Theatre Company in Cork, Ireland. And when it came to New York, I worked on the New York premiere, and at the, in that production, Roger Gregg actually was in the show. He's the playwright who mm -hmm. was actually in the show. And I kept contact with him over the years, and it turns out um, he recently started working at the Gaty Theater, uh, oh, Gaty School of Theater. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. He teaches in the grad program there, mm -hmm. though. For those who don't know, of course, we send students to Gaiety every, um, I guess, every J term still. Yep, or, Gaiety School yeah. of Acting. We've got some yeah. students coming back tomorrow. Okay, <laughs> as a matter of fact, yes. Um, so the year, the year that I proposed it, I met with. I happened to be in Ireland that year, the year that I, mm -hmm. uh, the year before we did it, and I met with Roger and we talked about doing it. And it's funny because he wondered. He didn't know that much about Messiah College. He wondered, was it a play that we would even be interested in? Right. <laughs> And um, so we took it on, and since I did not need a scene designer, I did the scene design myself, and I did the fight choreography myself, I had some money left over, and we brought Roger in uh, to come and, and yeah. do a talk back as well. And he just, he just felt so welcome, mm -hmm. uh, the way that people responded to him and his, and his play. And his play, and, that's tremendous. And yeah. he said it was one of the highlights for him. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. I, of course, uh, was out of town for that play, too, <laughs> but I did see it. I was, you know, I was there on, on Sunday afternoon for the right. last performance. Yep. So, um, so unfortunately, I missed the talk back, or I would have, if I'd been in town, I would have come, come for that. Uh, and we also had, we had George Pickens from sure. Peace and Conflict Studies. <clears throat> uh, we had an imam from mm -hmm. a local mosque, and one of our, one of the students in Peace and Conflict Studies at the time also had a background in music and theater, Sarah Faye Harris, and she was on sure involved with our talk back as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, I know, um, I suppose, uh, someone looking at, at a Christian school like Messiah might wonder if, mm -hmm. if this was a topic we would want to address, but if they understood the Anabaptist background right. and the kind of work that the Mennonite Central Committee does and so forth, uh, it would be a natural fit, that play right. really would, with the background of this school. So, yeah. um, and of course, George Pickens uh, represents that very well yep. and, and our faculty, that, that, that point of view. Um, but it, it really was just a very powerful play. So was it, was it from, was it written in the late 80s or was it in the early, you said you early seen 90s. it since er, 92. Early so 90s, early 90s uh -huh. yeah, right around the time of the first Gulf War. Okay, sure. Uh, under George uh -huh. Herbert Walker Bush. Right, yes. So it was so yeah. timely at the time. And then of course, when I met with Roger, uh, we were talking about how it's unfortunately very timely again. Very timely. Well, it, almost more timely in a way. I mean, it's, it, um, I suppose when you proposed it the first time, we were just at that, uh, we were at war in Iraq, right? It was, were we, were we there yet? It was around that time. We would have been there already, maybe yeah. even been there and gone. Yeah, okay. Well, we didn't leave. Well, not after. gone at all, yeah, Bush, really. But Bush was still there. Declared, still declared a victory. So, mm -hmm. um, and, and of course, there's just, we've been dealing with problems in the mm -hmm. Middle East that have impacted us in the United States uh, ever since. And, and um, of course, just, just to say again, part of the, you know, you said, as you said, the, um, 
forget which side you said it, we're, we're infidels to the other side. But of course, in the Crusades, both sides considered the other side unbelievers. Yes. And, uh, you know, and in, the, in that play, they both refer to the other as infidel. As I'm in, infidel, yeah. Um, I know I just had an Uber driver uh, not too long ago from Tehran. Mm. And uh, was telling me how he was, uh, as he said, my parents were very religious. I, I'm religious too, he said. And he mm. said, my parents are very religious, and so they didn't let me play music. And I thought, okay, I, 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 you know, in, in my family, there were other things that we weren't allowed to do. But <laughs> that was not the top of the that list was, of things you don't do. Yeah, that was okay, but there were some other things. You know? <laughs> so more, we have more in common than we realize, I think, across some of these uh, apparent divisions. Yeah. <laughs> well, so that was Infidel last year. So now this fall, you did, did Wit. And, of course, both of these plays are in the... Intimate, intimacy of a black box theater. And I think that's part of the strength of, um, certainly the strength of Infidel. Um, One thing about that, that mm -hmm. intimacy with Infidel, it's nice to have that intimacy, ex except it makes stage combat yeah. <laughs> much more difficult. <laughs> when they're swinging swords and they're five feet from the audience members. And when we were directing that, I had to go and sit in different areas of the house every time they fought so I could make sure every make place was safe. You, you, the fight has to be safe for the actors, the fight has to be safe for the audience, yeah. and it has to look real. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Which is way harder on stage than uh, film. Uh, and, and also, I would think, way harder when the audience is 15 feet away than when they're 30 or 40 feet right. away. Yeah. 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 Yes. Uh, so this, this year, we went from... Um, from a stage combat to uh, the hospital, <laughs> as you did, as you did wit, and uh, unfortunately, I was out of town again, and, and this time missed it altogether. And uh, but I did read the play, and it's it's uh, a, a very powerful play, I think. And uh, and I know we had uh, we were just talking beforehand about uh, the, the, our, our your lead became seriously ill, yes. and was actually seriously ill during the run of the play. Uh, which, since it's about a woman in the hospital mm -hmm. dying of cancer, was um, perhaps lended some realism, but we would rather not lend it that way. Say a little bit about that production. Uh, uh, what is about uh, an English professor who she is suffering from stage four ovarian cancer? And it's about what she's experiencing as she undergoes experimental treatment, her relationships with the doctors, uh, the nurses, how they see her, and a doctor might see her as just a petri dish, a test tube, mm -hmm. a way to study cancer, not, a, mm -hmm. not treating a patient. Right. Um, and so it's about her experiences, and it deals with end-of-life issues as well mm -hmm. uh, that, that we're all likely to have to deal with at some at point. At some point. Um, so <laughs> it's, and the fact that she's an English professor really lends itself well to the use of poetry, for example, uh, in the poem Death Be Not Proud. Um, so, so the language is wonderful. The, the character uh, playing Vivian Baring, the, the patient, is one of them that she's on stage the entire time, mm -hmm. uh, the entire <coughs> length of the show. She's the only one that's on stage the whole time. But she also goes from the past to the present. Yes. And one of the challenges for Brianna Pye, who played that, was she, I had to have her make a timeline of where is she? Is this pre-cancer? Is right. this... Is this post-diagnosis? If it's post-diagnosis, how far? Because she needed to have her mm -hmm. health decline. So she had to make a timeline of Vivian Baring's life. And then at any given moment, she had to identify where am right, I on this timeline is. and what's my, what's my state of health at this time? 
And yes, she did become, she had pneumonia. Yeah. And um, Brianna Pye is a very subjective actor, as opposed to objective actors mm -hmm. who just produce imitation, right. which is legitimate. Right. Uh, she's very subjective, almost like method. Like she's experiencing it herself. Yes. yes. So she did use getting sick to her advantage, <laughs> yes. whether she liked it or not, she used it to her advantage. Yes, indeed. Well, if, if I remember, um, uh, the, the the play goes back, actually, she's, she's of course, this uh, world-renowned scholar of John Donne's poetry. Right. So the play goes back to her student days at one point, and uh, she's actually speaking with her professor. Yes, and, uh, Professor who, Ashford. Yes, who's, who's trying to get her to understand some of the critical meaning that's in, in the poetry and to make it, make it real, if I remember. That's part of, part of it, to make it concrete in her life and not just, yes. not just a text to play intellectual games with. Right, and it's a metaphysical text. Right. And the irony is that she, she doesn't attach it to her existence at all. At all, yes, yeah, yeah. And of course, as you were saying earlier, John Donne is the perfect, uh, perfect poet for this kind, this topic, because his his poetry deals with these issues, and especially the, the the sonnets that he wrote in, at the end of his life, and and Death Be Not Proud is the obvious example of that, mm -hmm. um, and some of his others other famous things that he's that he's written uh, that are so well known and that deal very directly with issues of life and death mm -hmm. and of. Um, and a security, you know, the famous quote about um, for whom the bell, bell, bell tolls, do not ask for whom the bell tolls, because mm -hmm. it tolls for you. You're the one that's dying. And, uh, and so I, just many of his things deal with that issue uh, in, in so many different ways. Um, and even one of the texts mm -hmm. actually deals with faith, too. Mm -hmm. Oh, um, yes. How, how much faith do I have mm -hmm. that... Uh, when my time comes, right, and that, be salvation. Well, that, of course, the, when he says, do not ask for whom the bell tolls, it tolls for you, and he, he says, uh, at the end of that passage, the final words, if I remember correctly, are something along the lines of, and then I seek, seek out God who is my only security. Mm -hmm. you know, and, of course, he's, he's such a fascinating character because he sought fame as a poet and it never came to him. Mm -hmm. And then he became the pastor of St. Paul's in London. <laughs> and he was a very famous preacher. <laughs> so, so he found, uh, found more success with that. But, and now, fortunately, we have both his, his sermons and his, uh, yeah. and his poetry uh, to read. Uh, so anyway, Witt, Witt, of course, brings these two things together, both the, both the poetry and the, 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 the words of John Donne with this existential experience that the, the scholar is having. And as you said, <clears throat> along with that, you get just, for me, it brought out the, the value of human relationship and mm -hmm. that that's where we really find our meaning, not in, not in our um, being a world-renowned scholar. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, that's part of, part of what it depicts so well is her loneliness. Yes. That she has sacrificed human relationships for career yes. to a certain extent. And of course, as you said, one of the doctors is only there to make a name for himself and really doesn't care what happens to her. Right. He just wants to run the experiment that he needs to run, and it doesn't matter what it does to her. Yeah. And uh, just seeing those things is very powerful, you were going to say. Well, um, we, we even get to see how her relationship with her own students, her relationships with her students uh, yes. are manifest, and she's very cold. Yes. 
and and of course finds herself very much alone mm -hmm. in the in the hospital and the only two real relationships she has there is one with her nurse mm -hmm. um, who is warm towards her and one with the young doctor who really just sees her as a test tube right right um, and he's he's sort of maybe going to be the same thing that she well, I was going to is. say she she her relationship with him is that she recognizes herself in him. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 And uh, on the other hand, the, the 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 nurse who genuinely cares for her, um, you know, brings brings that aspect of, mm -hmm. of human life into her world in a way that she was not experiencing it. I think mm -hmm. that, that at least that's how I read the play. Yes. Uh, she. I mean, she does break down in tears with the nurse. Yeah. Right. That's, she's. That's the only. Right. relationship she has there. Although at the end of the play, there's mm. the visit from Professor Ashford mm. who holds her, except yeah. that the way we played that is that it never really happened. Right. Because right. by then she's in a morphine-induced right. state. Right. That right. she's only dreaming that that right. happened. Right. Well, yeah. That, that's, I think that's the way I imagined that, actually. When yeah. I read it, Some know. people didn't notice, though. Yeah. They didn't notice that um, when the professor entered the room, she came from someplace nobody ever entered the room yeah. before. Right. Uh, everybody else came from a certain place when they were entering the room. She entered her hospital room from someplace else, and there was different lighting and so on. And a yeah, place I where there's not really a door. That's right, yeah. yeah. She just sort of ethereally <laughs> yes. shows up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there are some very very ethereal things at the end, and uh, and very very fittingly so. We don't know what... what None of us has experienced death, so mm -hmm. we have to, we have to imagine it as best we can mm -hmm. to portray it like that. Oh, well, anyway, it's a very powerful play, and I, I'm really sorry I missed missed the performances. But uh, you but can't I, be everywhere. <laughs> yeah, you know, I needed three three of myself that day, as I recall. Every now and then it happens. <laughs> there were three events that I needed to attend. Um, <laughs> the one day that I could come to the play. Um, so now you're getting ready for Anne of Green Gables, and this, yes. of course, is our J-term musical, and um, that means that uh, you've been rehearsing for all of this month, and this is your last week of rehearsals. Next week will be your last week of just normal rehearsals. Yeah, we've had two weeks of rehearsals. And, and then you're going to production week after next week, right? right? Yeah. yeah. So we, we <clears throat> this past Wednesday would have been the end of two weeks of rehearsals, and... Mm -hmm. Just yesterday would be two weeks from opening night. Right, right. There you go. There's your there's. So your I comforted line. the cast today when they realized we're two weeks from opening night. I said, don't forget that out there in the business, yesterday would have been your first rehearsal. <laughs> That's right. Unless That's you're a right. dancer, and then you'd have to show up a few days earlier a than few that. Days to get earlier. Not, not many. Not no. many. No. Maybe I, three. Yeah. I mean, even <laughs> at, even at Allenbury, I, I uh, while I was playing Sound of Music, we rehearsed Kiss Me, Kate. Mm -hmm. And, of course, many of the cast were in both. Mm -hmm. So it was around the performances that we did Kiss Me, Kate, and we prepared it in two weeks. And I remember watching the dancers get royally chewed out because at the second second rehearsal of a certain uh, scene, they didn't know their steps. Right, yeah. <laughs> and it was just not acceptable. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> That's dancing. <laughs> I've seen, and actually at Allenbury, I've seen mm -hmm. choreographer give an entire tap number. Yes, 
and really not even have to demonstrate. Yes. Just tell them just by knowing the line, you do this type of step to, for eight measures, then you do this, then you yes. do that. Yes. And then they're, they're expected to just be able to execute that. Yes, because, because they're dancers. Right. <laughs> That's how it goes, yes. It is fun to watch. That's all I can say. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not doing it's it. It's the dance version of sight reading. Yeah, exactly. That's that's pretty much what it is, except sight reading where you, you have it memorized then when you're done. Um, <laughs> there are a few pianists who can do that with music. Uh, oh not, not many. Not many. Well, Walter Gieser King, uh, Glenn Gould, maybe. Um, <laughs> uh, maybe Martha Argerich, the way she way she devours music. <clears throat> um he was fun, fun to watch. Fun to watch that. Now, how did we get off on to dance? Oh, but we were talking about the rehearsal schedule for Anne of Green Gables. Right. Yes. yes. So, in the old days, when we started this course, um, J term started on Monday, uh-huh. and so you have a. You can tell them they have a couple of extra days. And I will tell them that. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know, but I'll just keep that in my holster. <laughs> it used to be Monday, you know, three weeks, and then. Spring semester, we had one day off the Monday after J term, and, and spring semester started on Tuesday. Wow. And that was our, of course, we didn't have Monday off because that was right. that, that was probably tech, I don't know, or tech was Sunday night, I don't yeah, remember. We, and we, we don't take off during the right, uh, during January the, break. Yeah, of course not, of course not. You've yeah. got a show co- opening the right. next week, <laughs> and you hope to be ready. <laughs> <laughs> we will be. I, oh, I know, it will always open. And you'll always be ready, and it will always be a mad scramble. At least every production I was ever involved in uh, was a mad scramble at the last. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I've never seen it any other way. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> normal. It was it's not just you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so tell, tell us about uh, Anne of Green Gables. Uh, uh, well, for people who are familiar with the uh, L.M. Montgomery mm-hmm. uh, series of books, on Anne of Green Gables, the first mm-hmm. one being Anne of Green Gables. This is one of several uh, play versions of it. There are there are several straight play versions, and there are several musical versions as More well. More than one. Oh yes. How about that? Okay. Uh, in fact, there's the one that's probably most well known has been around since 1969, and it claims to be. Okay. If you go to the Samuel French website, it claims mm-hmm. to be the world's longest running musical, because every summer at Prince Edward Island they run it. <laughs> So it's not continuously running, but it's been running for 50 years every summer at Prince Edward Island. But that one is this big, lavish Uh musical that you would expect in 1969. And it's more like My Fair Lady than Anne of Green Gables. Um, There's a a bluegrass version, Mm -hmm. which didn't make much sense to me until it was brought to my attention where bluegrass actually came from, that that could make some sense. There's even a rock version. Mm. which I, I haven't heard. I don't know that, mm-hmm. I don't know how well that would play. This version is uh, the most recent out of all of them that I know of. Uh, it's a 2007 version. Mm-hmm. And I first became familiar with it just through the music uh, because the music is very, very nice. Uh, music by Nancy Ford and book and lyrics by uh, Gretchen Cryer. And um, for me, it's a little bit different because it's it's a theater for young audiences, a really theater for all audiences, but it plays like a theater for young audiences piece. Mm-hmm. It, for me, it really captures the charm of the original literature, which I had not read when I was little. Mm-hmm. I didn't read the original, I didn't read Anne of Green Gables until after I saw the 1985 miniseries with yeah. Colleen Dewhurst and Richard Farnsworth. And even that, I didn't see that in 85. I saw that after I was already married. So that somewhere in the 90s, I saw that. And I loved it, and then uh, decided to read the book, and I thought it's just so charming. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and I think this this version just really captures the charm of the original literature. It's, it's based on such simplicity. The characters are simply drawn. Even the orchestration by David Hobb is it's a very small piece, very simply uh, written, although it does not offer much support to the performers mm -hmm. because they're not getting a whole lot of orchestration to find their music. Right, right. They just have to have it. Yeah. Um, so it's a really very, it's a very charming show. Mm -hmm. uh, but sim simple and easy are not the same thing. No, they are not. So, <laughs> so we're, we're developing that now, and there are some very good things happening, some good, mm -hmm. some good, uh, well-defined characters coming mm -hmm. out, and mm -hmm. um, really capturing some, some beautiful moments from the literature. And of course, like any literature, you just could never put all of it on stage. Right, right. So it's interesting to see what they've chosen to focus on. Sure. But yeah. you do have Gilbert Blythe and Josie Pye and Marilla and Matthew Cuthbert, of course. Of course, yeah, yeah the familiar characters. Yes. Well, I, I'm like you. I encountered it through that same miniseries, but I did yeah. see it in the 80s when it was first on PBS. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I never even knew that there was an Anne of Green Gables until I saw that. Uh, <laughs> I think me too. <laughs> since then, I've seen many other dramatizations of that. So um, I'm, I'm delighted to hear that uh, it's charm. Was charming the word you What was the word? That, I, yeah, I really feel it captures yeah. the charm of the literature. Charm, yes. Yeah. So because that... That, I feel, is, is very much a part of this story. Mm -hmm. Almost a part of uh, maybe of the, uh, you know, when they adopt Anne, uh, the, her adopted parents, uh, the, this brother and sister, that mm -hmm. they, the surprise and the joy. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's not just that they've fallen in love with this young, young woman, but also that just that they're kind of shocked, <laughs> startled, mm -hmm. by they weren't <laughs> expecting that, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And uh, I think that's part of the real charm of the story. And... Uh, so I hope that's there. I, I'm, I'm, yeah. you, you've really whetted my appetite now. I didn't realize that there were this many different musicals and different <laughs> different approaches and so forth. Uh, so. Yeah, and of course it, it does capture how you, she changes them. Mm -hmm. um, sure. By her unexpectedly showing up yes. in their lives. They expected a boy to show up to help Matthew on the farm. And, and just looking for a farmhand. Which was a real thing. <laughs> yes, um, yes. And... Uh, <clears throat> At first, Marilla doesn't want to keep her, and it's they they talk about her almost like they're talking about whether or not they're going to keep a dog, um, and that's that's how Marilla thinks. Yes, and uh, she she does make changes in their lives, mm -hmm. and it's very touching. Yes, yeah, no, it's a great story. Mm -hmm. It's a great story, and of course, it's uh, it brings charm to a subject that's very difficult, you know, mm -hmm. for for. Uh, for a young child like that to, to not have parents, to be alone and on their own and be in a, often in abusive situations and so forth, mm -hmm. you know. So it, it, to bring joy out of that, you know, is, is part, of, part of the story, I think. And probably the first touching moment in the show is when Marilla asks Anne where she came from. Yeah. And Anne has a monologue where she shares the places she's been and the people she's been with. Mm -hmm. And that's the first glimpse you get of any softening of Marilla at all, even though she's not going to show it. Mm -hmm. um, of course. But you know she's being touched by her. Yes, yeah, yeah, oh, that's great. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing it. Um, <laughs> and this time I will be able to come. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you have two weeks this time. <laughs> that's right, that's right. <laughs> and, and no trips planned that I know of at this point. Uh, so, <laughs> barring the of. totally unforeseen, yeah. <laughs> well, Ed, it's been great to talk with you today. And, Thank you, uh, thanks yeah, for inviting me. Yeah, and uh, uh, it's, it's, it's been great to see the theater 
program grow and develop over the years? And uh, of course, adding dance has made a big, big. Deal. Is there dance in this show? There's a little bit of dance, but again, yeah. it's bi it's built on simplicity. Sure. So it's a combination of musical staging and steps. Yes. More yeah. than anything else. Right. Matthew right. Cuth Cuthbert is not going to do a tap number. Well, and I wouldn't expect a big production number. <laughs> right. Although it sounds like right. the 1969 version may have had that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. The costumes. It's funny yeah. when we're doing warm-ups. There's only one. One line that could be considered a line where an ensemble sings. <laughs> and Eric Dundor, our music director, will, at, at the end of vocal warm-ups, just ha have them sing this one line. One line, line. That's, to be, that's all there is. It happens to be about a colon, about the punctuation of a <laughs> oh, colon. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, that's, that's great. That's great. Well, it, it does sound charming and, and, and delightful, and, and it's, been, it's been great to talk with you today. So, Thank so you. thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks very much. This is Richard Robertson from the Dean's Office.